0: So I did all the work, and I got us all ready for this fun little thing I was going to do for the last couple of days, and I forgot to send myself the information. So today, we're going to be catching up on a little bit of news, which is fine, because we're kind of getting behind on some stuff. Not that there's anything super interesting going on, but let's just get caught up, and we'll do the other thing tomorrow. Sound good? Good. Before we dive in, please remember... Any questions or comments, text or call 608 Make sure you get into the Facebook group. If you don't know where to find it, check the description. There is a link that will bring you to a bunch of links. Everything you'll ever need to know is within those links. With that, let's take our break and uh, get caught up. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We all have smartphones and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones and to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. So obviously I want to start with some Packer stuff, but I actually am going to be looking at an article. Not specifically geared toward the Packers, but it just kind of solidified something I've been saying for a little bit of a while. My thought process going into the 2019 draft is that the number one priority is probably a tackle. We'll see what happens. Maybe we re-sign Balaga. You know, I personally would be okay with that, but still a little shaky because it just feels like sort of a kick in the can down the road thing where it's like we, we have to address this at some point. Maybe he's going to be fine until he's 35 or 6 or whatever. I don't know. But either way, it still feels like a lingering need. Beyond that, as you know, I'm not a super big fan of our offensive line interior, but we have to see what Billy Turner and um, Elton Jenkins can provide. Maybe we're going to be set on the interior, and obviously Corey Lindsley's fine. I just mean the guards. But anyways, I, I saw an article that kind of piqued my interest a little bit because we know the importance of, of the run game with Matt LaFleur. Something I didn't think to do until now is to look at the correlation between what this scheme requires and the importance of offensive linemen. There is an article I found by Dallas Robinson from Yard Barker. It says the Rams offensive line could be a concern in 2019 and 2020. That's sort of irrelevant to what I'm talking about, but essentially what they talk about in the beginning is how Sean McVeigh essentially came on board and just the first thing he does is revamp the offensive line. And if you look at it, it's kind of crazy. The first thing they do is they go out and pay buku bucks to longtime Bengals left tackle Andrew Whitworth, who is currently one of the better left tackles in the NFL. That was to replace the draft bust Greg Robinson. Then they go out and get um, John Sullivan. Beyond that, if you look at it, Sean McVay started in 2017, meaning he started in 2017. His first off-season as the head coach of the Rams was in 2018. In 2018, although it was the third round, the very first pick that the Rams made was Joseph Noteboom, a tackle. The very second pick was Brian Allen. Uh, in the sixth round, Jamil Demby, a tackle. But they're not done there. In 2019, Bobby Evans, tackle. Uh, in the fifth round, David Edwards out of Wisconsin, tackle. They drafted four tackles in a center in two years. But that's not all. Look at Kyle Shanahan with the 49ers, also started in 2017. In 2018, and it was a bit of a surprise pick, although I had said that this would have been a good pick, not really knowing tendencies, just saying it makes sense to me, but the very first round pick they make is who? Despite everybody saying we need this, that, or the other thing, they decide they're going to get right tackle Mike McGlinchey. So in both cases, the priority is offensive line. The Rams didn't have a lot of early round picks, so they go out in free agency and they lock up two offensive linemen, specifically the left tackle. In San Francisco, they already have a left tackle, but the very first pick they make in the draft is to get a right tackle. The Packers obviously have a left tackle. We made moves in free agency to get Billy Turner, and we drafted Elton Jenkins. So if we keep Brian Balaga, it's somewhat of a moot point. I mean, let me rephrase that. If we keep him to a long-term deal, if it's a one-year deal, we're probably still going to draft an offensive lineman, a tackle to replace him. Because again, it's supposedly a pretty strong tackle class as well as wide receiver and apparently corner class and running back class and quarterback class we'll see how it materializes as the season goes on but i did find that interesting and it makes sense but it, it just it kind of solidifies things a little bit we know that this scheme requires a lot of running uh you know running the football requires a lot of athletic offensive linemen and offensive line is a priority but not just as as a you know we need a left tackle to protect our quarterback's blind side kind of thing and right tackle is pretty important too otherwise who cares no we need a solid unit that's not only going to protect our quarterback but is going to be able to run the outside zone scheme which is what everything else is built off of if we don't have an offensive line which all this is predicated from none of this works which is good Because I don't know too many teams that are very successful without great offensive lines. I feel like that's somewhat of an unsung unsung hero. Rams are a dominant team, great offensive line. Chiefs are a great team, great offensive line. Patriots, great offensive line. Bears, great offensive line. Packers, every time they've been successful, great offensive line. Nobody cares about offensive line. Nobody likes when people draft offensive line, you know, how many times have I talked about the Cowboys? When they were successful for that one year, they had easily the best offensive line that year and probably for several years. It started to fall apart. The, the Dallas Cowboys aren't what they were. Suddenly, Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott aren't the greatest things that have ever happened in the history of the universe anymore. There are some teams that have overcome it, like Seattle, although not so much anymore. The Vikings for one year overcame a bad offensive line. But typically, that's a very, very important piece. And it kind of makes sense, because also, as I've said, there's only two things you're going to do on offense, run the ball and pass the ball, and you're going to struggle to do either one of those things without an offensive line. So I'm a little bit happy that this is going to be a priority, and I I hope it's already solidified. I hope it's just good to go. But I don't know what the interior is going to have. I don't know what we're going to have at right tackle. Outside of of Bakhtiari, I don't know a whole lot in Corey Lindsley. But anyways... something to keep an eye on if, if things are going great and Balaga stays then this again was for nothing but at the very least i fully expect right as at, at this point if somebody were to ask me what do you think the packers are going to pick in 2019 i'm going to say a right tackle as far as the top prospects at this particular point in time andrew thomas out of georgia walker little stanford trey smith uh tennessee trey adams out of washington uh mecky beckton louisville tristan wirfs iowa calvin throckmorton oregon Alaric Jackson, Iowa, Prince Tango, Wanogo out of Auburn, and uh, Jedrick Willis out of Alabama. Of these ten that I rattled off, three of them are currently right tackles. Tristan Wirfs out of Iowa, Kr- Calvin Throckmorton out of Oregon, and Jedrick Willis. Not to say you can't take one of these tackles and put them at right tackle, but if, for example, you know, Tristan Wirfs, or, I don't know, let's say the, the Packers win the Super Bowl, they're picking at 32 And it's between Mackie Becton and Tristan Wirfs. Maybe they go with Tristan Wirfs out of Iowa as opposed to Mackie Becton out of Louisville because he played right tackle and, you know, just, I don't know, just something to consider. All this compliments of NFLBigBoard.com. By the way, I do have a few reports up. Um, Three of them that I listed, Trey Adams, Calvin Throckmorton, and Prince Tega Wanogo. They all have summer scouting reports, so check that out. NFLBigBoard.com. Um, some other hubbub, I, I don't know why it's a big deal. I guess it's because nationally people don't really understand or didn't know these things. I feel like we already knew, but there was a big commotion about, um, Mark Murphy saying they were aggressively going after Khalil Mack. We already knew that. The thing that bothers me though, and at every time Mark Murphy talks, and it's kind of the same with Matt LaFleur and with Brian Gutek, I feel like either they just speak in terms of I don't know, making it sound like things are more simplistic than they really are. Or else they really look at things simplistically, which makes me nervous because either I'm overanalyzing things and football's not that complicated, or I feel like it needs to be more complicated than it is, or they're really underthinking things and it just makes me really uncomfortable every time I hear, especially Mark Murphy talk about stuff. For example... When they hired Matt LaFleur and all they wanted to talk about was, and he did it again in this particular interview, talking about how he's just a good fit as far as the culture. And, you know, he's hes kind of like that Wisconsinite kind of feel to him. And I'm sitting here thinking, what in the world does that have anything to do with being a good head coach? Like, please tell me you, you considered the offensive scheme that he was bringing, his success, his record, and and how things worked and why. And the one time somebody actually brought up the question of, so does it bother you that Tennessee wasn't very good? Mark Murphy looked confused. Like, why would you even ask me that? No. Now, he, he kind of just brushed it off like, well, I mean, Mariota was hurt and all that other stuff. So in other words... There was an excuse and a reason why it didn't. So no, not really. But it's still the, the the reaction is though like, well, that's such a weird question that you would care about his record. I'm talking about culture. I'm talking about how how well we'll all get along as, as friends, and how he's a, a good fit to our community and, and the energy he brings. It's just just stuff that I could not care any less about. To, as much as it matters to a point, it's like that should be point number fifteen. Like if you're really stuck on like six quarterbacks and you're trying to narrow it down and everything is a tie, we got to work our way way down before I get to like, well, he's from Michigan. That's kind of close to Wisconsin. So similar cultural values, I guess we'll lean Lafleur. But anyways, when talking about Khalil Mack, it was not quite like that, but similar to where he's he's saying, yeah, we, we really tried to get him. You know, we worked real hard and we were pushing for him and we were throwing a bunch of money around like, hey, how about all this money? How about all these draft picks? And then at the end of it, he's like, "But at the same time, when you think about it, it's probably not too smart to have the highest-paid offensive player and defensive player." Yeah. Then why did you do it? Like, did you not? It it just seems so cavalier. Like, like they're just sitting around. Like, yeah, you wanna go for Mac? Like, yeah, sure. How about uh, we just like throw twenty-five million at him and uh, give up? I don't know, both both first round first round picks. Yeah, I, I guess we'll see what they say. If they say yes, then uh, I guess it is what it is. Should we discuss? Maybe that being too much money. You know what? Let's just go for it, and we can worry about regrets later. Let's just not even worry about it right now. Let's just be aggressive and be crazy, and uh, maybe later we can decide whether or not it was a good decision. I don't know. I, you know, those scenes in like the uh, from like the 80s on the the stock market exchange place. Wall Street, where they got the papers and they're flying around, and everybody's going crazy. That's how I picture like Lambeau Field, like everybody's freaking out and everybody's putting in like 28-hour days and just being psychotic. And they've got algorithms and calculations, and they're trying to, you know, they got spreadsheets for their spreadsheets and you know crazy software to do all kinds of crazy calculations. Then they've got very specific, you know, they read like 60 football books an hour. They know everything about football theory and. And, you know, all these people are master scientists, geniuses. And then you listen to Mark Murphy talk, and he's like, yeah, we uh, we tried to get him. In hindsight, probably shouldn't have tried to get him. We're lucky that we dodged that bullet, that uh, the Raiders were too dumb and thought the Bears were going to be worse than us. Because that was a bad decision that we were trying to make. And how about that head coach? I don't know. He seems like a nice guy, so we hired him. So, any other questions? It's like, wh- wow, you are not inspiring a lot of confidence in me right now. And again, maybe this is just like them playing it off like, eh, no big deal. Like Tony Hawk, when he, what did he jump out of that helicopter and he did, did like, I don't know, what was it? Seven, five hundred. I don't know what it was. Did that crazy spin, broke some kind of record. It would have been like him coming down and being like, probably could have done one more. No big deal. When in actuality, it's a very big deal. I'm hoping that's what it is. You know, Aaron Rodgers, 40 touchdowns and, and 3.1 interceptions. Eh you know, I could have done it better. That one intercept, that one half of an interception was my fault. So could have done without that. I don't know. It just, I like what they're doing and it feels like they're doing intelligent things, but whenever they talk, it makes it seem like they're just winging it. And I hate that. Even, even Gutekunst, when he's talking about drafting, it's like, we nerd out on this stuff more than they do. Not that we watch the amount of film or have the relationships and understand all this stuff, but it's like when you listen to draft people talk about draft stuff, it's like, oh my goodness, that's in-depth. then whenever you hear people throw all this crazy stuff at a, a GM, it's almost like they never thought about that. Hey, uh, Brian, what do you make of the fact that Rashawn Gary wasn't very productive in college and, you know, he didn't have a lot of sacks? Uh, he didn't have a lot of, um, I don't know, it's kind of a weird question. I mean, have you seen him? He's, he's super athletic. I mean, his 40 time was just, I mean, it's pretty rare to have that kind of athleticism, right? True. You're right, Brian. However, crazy athleticism doesn't always translate to being a good football player. So I'm kind of wondering what it is about Rashawn that makes you think that crazy athleticism is kind of the thing that, why is it going to translate for him? Well, I mean, have you seen his RAS score? I mean, it's crazy. Also, great kid, great character. Hey, Brian, I don't care, man. I want to know if he's going to be a good football player. And I want you to help me understand because my assumption is you're a wizard and you can see the future and you can see amazing things that I can't. And you're telling me things that I figured out within 30 seconds of watching Rashawn Gary. I'm I'm expecting you to tell me like 9.0 type stuff. And you're acting like you don't even know the information I'm telling you. And it's freaking me out a little bit. I don't know. I'm sure it's fine. And I'm sure they're just playing it off like it's no big deal and they're putting in a lot of work. But just stuff like this, you know, the whole Khalil Mack, we tried to get him in hindsight, probably shouldn't have tried to get him. That 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 worries me a bit. And it also makes me think, you know, maybe being a John Dorsey or a, a Bill Belichick, and I know putting them on the same plane seems ridiculous, but I think John Dorsey, is, as far as the draft especially goes, and building teams up that are not very good, I don't know that there's anyone like John Dorsey. But maybe being on that tier isn't actually all that hard. You just actually know what you're doing and you take advantage of a bunch of people that have no idea what they're doing and they're just kind of making this stuff up. That's probably not it, but I'm a little scared that that's kind of it. Anyways, that was my one takeaway from that conversation. Well that and uh, if you listen to the actual interview, he kind of talked up Raven Green a little bit, which was kind of good to hear because you know the, the whole conversation is just kind of, eh, you know, well, we gotta do it. But when he, you know, and that's kind of the whole reading between the tea leaves. That's, I'm meshing two together, but that's fine. We're going to go ahead and read between the tea leaves. But it's a matter of like when, when they kind of like snap out of just autopilot mode, like just general chit chat. Like, how oh, how's things? Oh, good. Like, no, you know, things aren't good. Because you're alive in a world. Things are stressful. Things are hard. Things are horrible. You're lying to me. But that's fine because it's general chit chat. But he, he kind of like perks up when they start talking about safety and specifically calls out Raven Green and says, you know... One guy that really started coming on strong for us until he got injured was Raven Green, and I think he's going to be a good football player for us. That's not just general chit-chat. He just straight out just laid his cards out there. So that's another guy I'm prepared to be wrong about is Raven Green because I don't really have any expectations for him. And, you know, if he doesn't, I don't know how many opportunities he's going to get, possibly with three safeties on the field, which I guess is going to happen quite a bit, and Josh Jones more than likely being gone. I guess we probably will see a decent amount of Raven Green, but that'll be something to keep an eye on. So those would be my two takeaways. I'm worried that nobody knows what they're doing. Also, Raven Green might be all right. <laughs> small little tidbit, I guess the, the Texans are going to be joining the Packers as they ride around on the bikes. I think that's going to be really cool. I've never been down there. I wish I lived out in Green Bay. There's a very, very small chance that I will take a job out there someday, but probably never. Almost did at one point. I almost, almost did. There was a job opening, and they weren't really paying any more than what I was getting, which was shocking, because I was getting garbage. But I decided against it at the last minute, and um, anyways, it would be nice to be able to get out there. But it'll be kind of cool, especially seeing J.J. Watt, because that was a tradition he kind of grew up, you know, respecting and loving and whatever. It'll be kind of neat. I mean, it's it's weird, and the only reason I'm making a, not even a big deal, but a deal of it, is because it's such a long-standing tradition that's always been a certain way. And this is going to be a different way. And Lafleur is kind of, you know, if you were like a hardcore purist for tradition, Lafleur would not be your best friend. Because he's just coming in and he's like, you know, tradition's great and all, but that's not our priority. And I know we've never done it this way. We're going to start doing it this way. And I know it's always just Packers that ride these bikes. We're going to have the Texans ride the bikes. And I know all the pictures on the walls are all historical guys, you know, Bart Starr and whatnot. We're going to go ahead and put some of our guys on there. But I think I mean it's it's going to be it's all it's going to be a wild year, man. It, it just and I've said it before as Packer fans specifically, we are very used to it's not just tradition, but it's almost like you know getting back to again where maybe they know what they're doing more than I do. There is a lot of tradition and culture in the Green Bay Packers that just seem to be bred in. And the more you look at things, the way that I talk about how the the Bears when they try to focus on offense, it doesn't work, and then they get back to their identity of defense, which is weird. Because they're completely different coaches, completely different players, completely different year, completely different fans. Everything is different than it was in in 1985. But still, there's just something in the DNA of the Chicago Bears, and that seems to be the tru- truth with the Packers, where it's about history, and it's about preserving certain things. And if you look at how the Packers operate, it's, everything's about keeping the same guys around and, and keeping the same coaches and keeping the same scheme, and everything just kind of stays the same. Then there's a certain way of doing business, and you stay with that, and it's the same. you know, Everybody that works there is a person who worked under Ted Thompson and or Ron Wolf. Everything is about like tradition and longevity, so we're not really used to change very often and when it happens, Packer fans kind of freak out because it's so rare like we're we're still probably three, four, five years away from getting a new quarterback, and I'm already freaked out about it. There are teams out there that have new quarterbacks every year, like yeah, it's not a big deal. them getting a new quarterback is like us getting a new i don't know undrafted free agent corner, but new coach, new offense, new defense, whole new. You know, defensive scheme, but also defensive players. Brand new, flashy offensive scheme, which I... I mean, the last time the Packers implemented a new offensive scheme, I was not paying close enough attention to even know what a new offensive scheme looked like. The only thing I knew back in the day is I was tired of run-run pass that wasn't working. When you just sit back in a chair and go, you know, first down, I got 10 bucks says it's a run, second and eight, double or nothing? Third and seven. Who wants to go triple or nothing that it's a pass? And I would have won a lot of money doing that. But it's going to be a shock to the system, but it's also going to make things exciting. right? I mean, all, all the, even, even free agency has become more exciting. The, the draft has been, I don't know if it's more exciting. Maybe there's more trade-ups than trade-backs with Ted Thompson, so that makes it more exciting. But it, just, I don't know, we're, we're sort of like the culture, the, um, the super-sheltered kids who, who turned 18 and, and left the nest and we're going out there and there's this whole big, brand-new world out there called free agency. There's, there's, there's this new offensive scheme where, you know, you scheme guys open and you trick defenses into doing something that causes us to have success. It's just wild, man. It's crazy. There's more modernized defenses. So, you know, in, in, a, in a way, and I've, I've said this before, if, if the only goal is the Super Bowl, which is the ultimate goal, but if that's the only goal, football is going to be miserable. And I think there's a lot of little sub games that we can play and little sub narratives or whatever you want to call it that make football fun that you gotta kinda of tie into. And one of those things is kind of embracing the change and, and kind of being excited about the struggles a little bit, right? It's we've got stuff to overcome. How are we gonna do it? What's the best way to do it? You know, studying how other teams have done it and, and trying to figure out what they're doing and how we could implement that and, and you know, maybe trying to predict the future is kind of fun and how do you navigate the salary cap. And should you be spending a bunch? Should you not? Apparently even the Packers are struggling with that one. So it's just kind of this buildup of like the new Packers are coming on strong and what's it going to mean and is this a new era? And I mean, just, just get excited about it because, again, if it's just you're sitting back waiting for a Super Bowl, football's going to be miserable, man. Got to find other stuff that's, even in losses, understanding why and what, what we can do and how we can fix this. It's going to be fun to see. And, and the new traditions start this week. I don't know how evident it's going to be, but in just a couple days, we're going to be getting updates about, um, about camp and whatnot. As far as actual news that's going on so far, it's been actually fantastic um, because all around the NFL, it's been this guy's out for, you know, who was it, Michael Bennett broke his toe or whatever. He's out for probably a very long time bunch of other people coming down with suspensions with injuries you know ha, ha is going to be on the pup list sounds like he's going to start week one but it's one of those maybe but also he's going to miss a lot of you know training camp time and so far all we have is greg roberts is on the pup list and darnell savage had his wisdom teeth out he's going to take a couple days to recover and be right back on the field so you know look bad stuff's going to happen there's going to be injuries uh there's going to be some hamstring issues where it's going to be oh shoot you know, Aaron Jones is not able to, you know, or Dexter Williams. We were really hoping this guy's going to be able to show what he can do, and now he's hurt, and, you know, we, we this would be a good time to prepare yourself, and maybe this is what we could talk about tomorrow or the next day is is depth, because it's, it just changes stuff so much because we just assume, okay, our safeties are Amos and Savage. Well, maybe they're not. Our, our pass rushers, Preston and Zedaris, how are they going to do? I don't know. Maybe they're going to be hurt. And it's it's just one of those kind of shakes you to your core things because it's not supposed to be that way. But yet we should be prepared for this by now. We should be able to anticipate injuries because we know they're going to happen. We just have to hope that they're not significant and that at least by week one, maybe somebody has a, a lingering hamstring issue. But other than that, we're good to go. And as long as it's not Aaron Rodgers that has a hamstring issue, that would, you know, well, he'd probably play with a bad hamstring, but kind of getting used to watching him play with a limp anyways. But anyways, just just be happy for now. Celebrate today, because as of today, there are no significant injuries on this team that I'm aware of anyways. Also, I want to address one thing, because maybe I did, but I could swear yesterday I forgot to address wide receiver. I don't know how I would have messed that up, but I'm pretty sure I did. So I I just want to kind of touch on that real quick. For those that didn't listen, first of all, shame on you. But (laughs) yesterday was just about sort of projecting what I think people are going to become right uh boomer bust kind of stuff and wide receiver there's a lot so I missed a lot there's Equinemius there's Marquez we can still talk about Geronimo technically uh Jamon, Kumaro maybe Trevor Davis I guess so I guess here's where I'm at right now I believe Marquez and Equinemius are both going to take steps similar to Jair and um and Josh Jackson I anticipate taking steps I just don't know how big I know there's a lot of hype about Marquez and I, I get it, and I hope it happens. And a lot of really smart people like Brian Baldinger and all kinds of stuff, they're, they're coming out and they're like, look, this, this guy's special. and That's important, but I'm still trying to kind of slow down because at the same time, when people say negative stuff about the Packers, what do we say? They're being dumb. They're just trying to fill empty space in the offseason. They don't know what they're talking about. But yet when they praise Packers, they know all. Right? <laughs> These people are geniuses. They know it. So we don't know anything. We saw what he did last year. We know coming into the season it seems like Marquez is going to be number one. I I at this point, you know, I, I, I don't know. I like Equinimius. I guess if I were to put him on a spectrum, Equinemius Marquez and Jamon, it would be something like this. You've got high-end potential on one end, you've got solid football player on the other. As far as solid football player, you've got Jamon Moore. I know he had a lot of struggles, but remember, he was a fourth-round pick. As far as being more on the Devontae mold, which is not an athletic freak, but just a good route runner, solid fundamental stuff, minus the drops, which he definitely needs to work on. And the other end of the spectrum is Marquez, and I'm not trying to say anything negative about his fundamentals at all, but he's all upside. Equinemius, I see somewhere in between, right? He's tall, he's fast, but he seems to be also a lot more polished. He's, he's, a, he's a pretty smooth route runner. He's shown to have fantastic hands. I think we talked about wide receivers before. He didn't drop a single ball. And we, we've seen the highlights. The guy had some great highlights. So I feel like he's being overshadowed a bit. And In, in fact, although I can't project who's going to be higher, I would actually... I'm, I'm Man, oh man, oh man, I'm really wanting to make a prediction, but I'm, I'm struggling because there's other factors here. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot of Devontae, Equinemius, and Marquez. Here's the thing, though. I really don't want to count out J-Mon more. I think if, if, if I had to project who's going to have the biggest leap, I think it might be Jamon, mon if, if for no other reason than he was the lowest, right? If you're looking at PFF grades, Equinemius had a 64, Marquez had a 60, Jamon had a 53, so if Jamon just gets a 60 via his PFF grade, he's basically only going to be what Marquez was last year. But that's still a seven-point leap, and I, I just I can't help but feel like we're sleeping on Jamon. And I know speed is important, and that's all Marquez. And he, you know, if if he can just grow as a receiver or whatever, everything's going to be fine with him. But I'm I'm really torn on the three. I mean, I, on one hand, I feel like Equinemius, as of last year, was was the most promising receiver. Right? He just kind of felt. It, it wasn't just the big flashy plays, and I'm always kind of skeptical of that when it's when it, when it you're like the super fast, super tall, and, and a lot of your highlights are like deep down the field type plays. I feel like that's a very limiting thing, and you've got to be able to do the, the short yardage stuff, the yards after the catch, the intermediate routes, the the whatever. And I'm, again, I'm not saying Marquez can't. I'm just, I'm not as enamored with the big stuff. Equinemius, I feel like, can do it all already, and that gets me really excited. But again, Jamon was the first, he was picked before Equinemius St. Brown, who was picked before Marquez, or excuse me, who he was also picked before Marquez, who was picked before Equinemius. So so as far as scouting and as far as potential, despite Equin- despite Marquez being six four, running a sub 4'4", they looked at Jamon and said, yeah, we want him. And it was a couple rounds later that they're like, all right, fine, we'll take Marquez, or a round and a half or whatever. So I definitely do not want to count him out. I, I think I think the Packers expect Jamon to be the top guy. Whether or not he's going to be, I don't know. But they, they, when they watched him in college, they said he's going to be the best football player. And I'm not willing to count him out after one year. So I, I guess what I'm saying is I expect all three to take a step. I expect one of the three to be the number two. I do believe that one of the other three is going to be the number three. I don't think it's going to be Geronimo. I know. Listen, I'm I'm not trying to beat up on Geronimo. I like Geronimo. I just think we know what his ceiling is. I don't expect a breakout. I think Geronimo is going to consistently be the same guy he has been, and that is a reliable uh, catcher, a guy that's going to come up in big situations, maybe has a couple big plays. I think he's going to be a factor in the offense. They re-signed him for a reason. I think he's sort of a buffer. He provides a floor for the Packers wide receivers. If Marquez and Equinemius and Jamon don't take a step, then then we got Geronimo. And Geronimo can be number two, and he can be a reliable guy, and that's it. That would be depressing for me as a Packers fan, wanting to see Equinemius Marquez and or Jamon take a a big step in the right direction. But I I think Geronimo stays about the same. But um, I I do expect Jamon Marquez and Equinemius to take a step. And I, I, I hope and I believe... As much as I, I want to believe in Jaymon, I kind of think Marquez or Equinemius is going to have because of what they showed last year. I think if they can grow from that, right? That great hands, you know, catching out away from the body, back shoulder catches, um, you know, the, obviously they can go deep. The new scheme emphasizes speed. Everything's kind of leaning toward Marquez, but also Equinemius. But again, don't want to count out Jamon. Uh, I know there's a lot of love for Jay Kumaro. Again, I just don't buy it. He didn't show much in the regular season. I know he has great rapport with Aaron Rodgers. I'm not trying to be di- – I, 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 I was the first, by the way, the original Jay Kumaro fan because I went to Whitewater, as did he. As soon as I heard that, I'm like, oh, Whitewater guy. And then I heard he was the cousin of the Bosa's, and I, I, I said if I could find – this is why, by the way, I want to have transcripts of this so I can just do a search and find it. But I, I promise you I was the original Jay Kumaro fan when I found out he was cousins with the Bosa's and stuff. As somebody that would love nothing more than Jay Kumoro to succeed, I think you just have to be intelligent about stuff, right? Jamon Moore was a fourth-round pick. Marquez and Equinemius were, what, fifth- and sixth-round picks? Not great, but they also had success in the regular season. They also are building on, on, you know, despite not having the same amount of trust, guess who was out there instead of Jay Kumoro? Aaron Rodgers trusts Jay Kumoro, Jay Kumoro wasn't out there as much until later in the season, obviously. And Jay Kummer is an undrafted guy. I mean, he, he's got some talent. It just, we saw what you would expect from him, right? What, what you would expect from an undrafted guy is what we got in the regular season. And I really just don't see, other than having some great practices and some great, you know, um, games against third string guys in preseason, I don't have a lot to go on that's going to be like, oh, he's definitely going to be better than Jamon and Geronimo and Marquez and Equinemius and he's going to be our number two or number three. I just, again, I would love it I just don't believe it. So, them sort of my thoughts on uh, wide receiver. Also, speaking of wide receivers, we did end up signing a uh, signing a wide receiver. I don't have a lot of information because I can't find a whole lot. What I do know is his pro day numbers. He uh, measured in at six foot two, two hundred eleven pounds. Ran a four 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 forty, so pretty fast. I think that would have been twelfth uh, in the combine if he ran a four o two short shuttle. Which, I, you know, these aren't maybe combine official, but that would officially be, if it held up, the fastest short shuttle time of any wide receiver at the combine. His six-eight-one-three three-cone time would have been the fourth fastest of any wide receiver, just behind Hunter Renfro. 36-inch vert is not overly impressive, but it's a thing. His 10-foot, 6-inch broad jump would have been, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, tied for eighth with Travis Fulgham. And his 11 bench reps, which who cares, were not all that impressive, but again, who cares? So athletically, not surprisingly for the Packers, he's he's top tier, right? Incredibly fast, incredibly agile. Um, explosion, depending on which drill you want to look at, is is okay. Overall strength is maybe a little subpar. Now, in terms of explosion, and I, I, you know, this is my current understanding. I don't exactly know, but as much as explosion comes from both the vert and the broad jump, supposedly the the broad jump is much more important for wide receivers. So, w- one of the most important things that wide receivers need to be able to do is, or have, I guess, is short area quickness. So, the ability to explode out of your position. So it's you know, when when you're here and you need to go, when you're going that way, you need to go this way. It's a matter of, you know, can you plant your leg and explode out of it? Because it's, you know, if you look at some people, they when they run a route, if they kind of slowly come out of it, the corner's going to stay with you. And even if you explode out of it, you know, the corner a lot of times can kind of catch up. So it's, it's that, that momentary separation. And that's going to give you that open window for the quarterback. And again, maybe we're splitting hairs a little bit, but again, he did well with the broad jump, not so much with the vert. And I think the combination of strength and balance... If you're looking for wide receivers and and explosions in and out of your cut, you're primarily looking more so at the broad jump. I guess the vert is is a very useful tool for linebackers and defensive linemen. Again, it's probably about the same, but you know, splitting hairs a little bit. But in terms of going back and seeing which ones tend to matter the most, you look at the broad jump. It kind of was something Julio dominated. Go back and look at um, you know successful defensive linemen and linebackers. They're generally pretty solid at the vert uh, apparently I don't know I haven't done the work myself but anyways bottom line is the things that matter the most the broad jump the three cone the 40 time the short shuttle he dominated those things things that matter a little less like the vert and the bench press not so great so again we're getting a high-end athlete and um you know we'll see if that can translate to anything he's going to come in he's going to compete it's going to be an unbelievably difficult. <sighs> road to the roster for him and typically when you see guys like this get added it doesn't mean much right we've got an open spot we got to fill it let's go get the top guy in our list he dominated all this stuff let's see if we can get it to translate we'll get our coaches in here probably isn't going to usually it's you know last one in first one out is how these things work there's going to be a lot of that you're going to be seeing guys get cut and then we got to fill in somebody else that guy comes in there's all this hype oh man did you see this guy and oh, i went back and watched his college film and he was so good and then a week later he's gone a month or two months or whatever so don't get too attached but um just know that he's got some up and high end potential and anyways with that i gotta go to work so you folks have yourselves a fantastic tuesday we're just a couple days away talk to you tomorrow bye-bye